Hi friends, happy Monday. I hope you are doing very well. If you are like so many elementary general music teachers, you have already started school or you are in the back to school headspace as you get ready to start here in the next few weeks. And one of the things that we need to decide as, you know, an education community, but then certainly as individuals with individual classrooms and backgrounds and teaching scenarios, one of those things that we need to decide is where exactly to start the year. And this is a very unique year in terms of curriculum and curriculum sequencing. One of the tools that we are using, that we are talking about, is this term pre-assessment. And we are using that term to describe that we want to know where students are here at the beginning of the year so that we can plan instruction for the rest of our year coming up. So this is a conversation that I had with my good friend, Anne Molesky, all about pre-assessment and curriculum at the beginning of the year. Anne has every accolade you can imagine, and so I know I don't need to introduce her from the last conversation that we had. Uh, so let's jump in. This is my conversation with Anne Molesky about pre-assessment and curriculum at the beginning of the 2021-2022 school year. Anne, what should we talk about today? Let's talk about beginning of the year pre-assessment. Let's start with what does pre-assessment mean? <laughs> What's your thought on on a pre-assessment definition? So pre-assessment to me is like, where in the world are these kids? Especially, especially after the last, what, year and a half now that we've had? Um, and the types of new ways we've been making music. Um, we've been asked mm -hmm. to make music. We've been asked to modify <laughs> making music. Um, and thinking about what they can do based off of all of those modifications, things that they can demonstrate, things that they feel comfortable demonstrating with. That, so that's step one. And then step two for this particular fall is, mm -hmm. okay, here are these things they can do and demonstrate. Does that align with the way that my classroom normally exists and how Whoa. Do we figure all that out? Big question. Like this year more than ever before, right? What about you? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think you said it. Uh, I think that in other areas, like other subject areas, a pre-assessment would look different. Like if you were to give like a math pre-assessment, you might be like, all right, friends, uh, please do this problem on the board. Oh, look, you can't. Great. I bet we could do it in a couple weeks. Hooray, a pre-assessment. And music is, I think, a very different subject in so many ways. But in terms of pre-assessment, we would not like show notation on the board and say, everybody play this on recorder. Here you go. Wow, you can't do it. Great. Let's learn how, you know. And so what you said about demonstrating something, that is, in my mind, that is the pre-assessment. So in other words, like, uh, in contrast to what we might do in, in other subjects, again, this is more about, do I see the prerequisite skills? Are you demonstrating the things that we need to see in order to move forward with this concept? So for example, let's just imagine that we are going to work on uh, something in the pentatone, let's say mi, re, do patterns. Well, before 
you and I and people who are aligned with our philosophy of education, before we would show that notation, we would want to make sure that students can physically match pitch to whatever tonic is with those stepwise patterns leading down to the tonic. And so the pre-assessment would not be, friends, what do we call three notes moving down by step to the tonic? And then we wait for them to say mi, re, do, and that's the assessment. The pre-assessment would be, can you use three notes moving down by step to the tonic? Can you match that pitch? And can you match it in a variety of settings? That is the pre-assessment. So all of that to say, I just want to yes and your, um, your description of it as demonstrating the concept, not necessarily having the cognitive knowledge about the theory behind it or the common vocabulary that we'll use in the classroom. It's much more about, are you ready to show this at different and higher and more advanced levels throughout the year? Yeah, absolutely. And so I think that, you know, this is a conversation that's pretty, pretty hot topic right now because we're talking about beginning of the year stuff. Right. And, um, which is all valid and important, but this idea of pre-assessment or even assessment checkpoints, if you will, is really important Mm -hmm. throughout our entire teaching. And, you know, we've had many a conversation (laughs) about assessment versus grades versus like formative assessment versus summative versus observational data and all of that kind of stuff. And so when you're thinking about pre-assessment, when you're thinking about learning readiness, you're thinking Mm -hmm. about all of the things that you just talked about. And depending on where you are in, you know, whatever terms you use to describe, you know, some concept planning, whether you say prepare, present practice, or, you know, um, I like imitate. to say, yeah, imitate some of the ORF language, imitate, create that type of stuff. Or, um, you know, if you're in that pre-literacy phase, you know, like you were talking about, you wouldn't sing me right and ask what the terms are. You would sing me right and see if the students can respond and create and do those types of things before the literacy moment. And so that's your checkpoint. That's your pre-assessment. That's your signal, you know, saying, oh yes, they're ready. So talk to me a little bit about what this looks like in the context of the beginning of the year. Right. Maybe we should okay. start with just like a normal year <laughs> as a, a quote unquote normal year. Like you saw your kids all year. You were able to make music in all the different ways that you were, you were able to do so. And they're coming into your classroom the first couple of weeks of school. What does that look like? Right. Well, I think the main difference this year is that we just don't have as good of a guess for our starting point. Because at the beginning of the year, on a in a normal year, we would still do things to test for readiness because we've still had a summer break or, you know, a smaller several week break if you're in a year round situation, but we would still be doing things to set, you know, to go back to our last conversation, to set the tone for learning in this environment. As far as we are going to use some sort of beat motion collectively. And that's a big thing. Uh, the collective beat is a big thing. And then pitch matching is also a really big thing. And those, you know, collective beat and then pitch matching, those are things that we don't have in isolation. And that's the big difference this year, as opposed to a regular year. So in a normal school year on the first day of school, even if we don't necessarily think of it as a pre-assessment, we are kind of checking the vibe, the musical vibe in the room to see are we, can we play this name game? 
or is it total, total chaos and no one is staying together? Okay, well, that is actually a beat assessment. And can you echo me when I sing hello? Well, even though that's a greeting that we're going to do in the warm up, that's also a pitch matching assessment right there on the very first day of school. So we would have these pre assessments built into our teaching in a regular year. The difference is this year, I think that we can just be a little bit more broad in terms of what we might be looking for. So just like as a really concrete example, let's imagine that you are going to check in fourth grade at the beginning of the year to see if students can uh, echo patterns with Cinco Pop. This year, you might still have those patterns that you start with based on what you were doing last year, but we would also be listening for rhythmic rhythmic performance with a lot of other, what we would consider to be uh, easier rhythms, and, and that is just simply like beat and beat subdivision as opposed to syncopation and... Um, you know, lots of variation of weights on sounds on the beat, you know, that kind of thing. So all of that to say in a a typical year, we would have a check-in and it would be musical and it'd be fun. And it would feel like a happy time for the students. It wouldn't feel like a paper and pencil worksheet. The difference this year is that we are going to be more open to the possibility that we are going to back up in our curriculum versus where our fourth graders would normally be in a typical school year, typical, like with big air quotes. What's your thought? Yeah. Lots of things to, to go off of what you said there. So this whole idea of the vibe check, right. And this has come up in, Mm -hmm. in other conversations we've had about assessment and how there's this opportunity to constantly be taking in information while you're teaching in the moment and pivoting in the moment and also just like making a mental checklist. And so for me, a lot of what pre-assessment looks like, if we want to, we want to use that term in the beginning of the school year is exactly what you said. Like we're going to come in, we're going to play some familiar songs and games. We're going to do some activities that I know the kids are going to be excited about doing making music. And I'm going to be consistently taking that temperature check consistently taking that read of the room and being like, okay, where do they feel comfortable? Where do they feel confident? Where are, where is there kind of a lull in in the class? Where, where Mm -hmm. aren't things feeling as successful, if you will, as, as others. Um, But I just want to emphasize that even though we're using this term assessment with pre-assessment, I mean, I'm not necessarily pulling out a seating chart and keeping a checklist of individual students, right? Because it's all about that temperature check. Wouldn't you agree with that? Yeah, I would. I would say that how, yeah, as far as like pulling out a seating chart and having your rubric and saying, let's go around the room and do a solo sing would like do an echo thing. That way I have an individual assessment in a quantitative way of where every student is here at the beginning of the year. There is value in that, in that then you would have a bunch of twos and threes and fours and some ones on a sheet of paper. And for a lot of people, that would be super, super valuable. There is a con, well, depending on your teaching philosophy, that would really, really set a very specific tone for your year. And so if your tone is... Uh, you are an individual on the spot for a grade. 
then that would be in alignment with that um, way you're going to operate your classroom. If, if your philosophy is more like we are a community of student musicians and we rely on each other in a collaborative experience and we grow together, then even though you are pre-assessing and even though in your brain you have a rubric, you know what you are looking for, you know what you are listening for, even though uh, you have this rubric in your brain, that is kind of where it lives. And then it's like a sticky note situation. Again, the vibe check. And there's a time for solo assessment. And then there's a time for collaborative assessment. And uh, there's a lot more I could say about that. But independence versus interdependence is an interesting thing for us to think about, especially in the first days of school. I don't need you to be an independent musician. And in fact, if I notice that everybody else is keeping the steady beat all together and you have your own steady beat, and even though it's like a consistent tempo, it's not the same pulse as the rest of us. Okay, well, that's a little bit too much individualism, right? <laughs> I want you to be an interdependent musician. And so all of that rambling to say, yes, I agree with you. Uh, I would not pull out a seating chart and give a quantitative score for solo performance in the first weeks of school. But I would have a checklist in my mind, a rubric in my mind, so that after class I can say, hey, I noticed this about this student. Uh, we might just check in with with them next class. Or what is even more likely is, I noticed this about the class vibe today. Let's do some more research next class. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And I think that it, that's an important distinction, what you said about the collaborative versus independent kind of music making experience, you know, it's kind of like a shared space versus self space type of thing. And mm. we're really focusing on that community, like shared space, shared musical space, physical and, you know, mental and all of the things um, in, in those first weeks of school. And so to that end, um, and I don't want to go too far in the weeds, but like if we were thinking about like a learning target for the first couple, couple weeks of school, for me, it's, it's not vague, but it is vague. So it's, it's mm -hmm. all about like reviewing where we left off last year. And it might even say that today in music, I will show what I learned last year in music. And as far as like having a success criteria or something really specific, it's exactly what you said. It's not, we're not talking about a specific part in like a learning sequence where we're like, today I'm going to read and write Ta and Titi. It's like, yes, we'll probably do something with that, but there's a lot of other things that I'm taking, taking inventory of, if you will, mm -hmm. um, as I'm going through. And so with that temperature check, with that observational data, it's not necessarily time for me because of the reasons that you said to pull out like that individual checklist um, to gather that quantitative data. It's all qualitative. It's all observations, all that kind of stuff. And I think that that's important um, I, I think that it's an interesting challenge for those of us who need to collect data in order to show progress. But even mm. within those those first couple weeks of school, that's not not necessarily the place for me because we're again we're setting the tone, right? We're setting the tone for for what what's about to happen in our classroom, the type of community community we want to be cultivating, and figuring out what we're going to do next. Because again, like the whole point of assessment is to inform instruction, right? So that's that's exactly what what we're doing in here. So um, talk a little bit about backing up 
That was something you mentioned. Mm. That's something I also have in my notes because we have like where we left off last year before we we said goodbye to our students for whatever break we said goodbye to them for. Um, And we're saying, welcome back now. Where are you? How does backing up or starting where we left off play into that for you? That's an interesting question. Uh, the, The first thing is that we would need to have some sort of record of where we think we left off. And I know that is tricky from from this past year. Um, Inside the planning binder, we did like a summer planning series. And the first week was just, just take a, Mm -hmm. a deep breath, right? And look at what you have taught. And even if students, even if you don't know if students have retained it, um, even if we still have a lot of gaps in the rest of the year, as far as like where we are going to go with musical content, um, even if we have a bunch of question marks, having some sort of document that says, I taught this thing in this grade. And so this is the beginning of my hypothesis now that we are back together. I think if you don't have a working document that kind of keeps track of all of the student experiences that you have facilitated, this would be kind of a tricky a tricky thing to do at the beginning of the year. So I think that in answer to your question about backing up, I would look at what I know I have taught and then my question is, have you learned that thing that I have been teaching? Because the the feedback portion of of a typical lesson is the thing that has been really lacking in this past year. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, I think in in your verbiage, I would say, where did I leave off on my sequence? And let's figure out if that's actually where we should pick up with the sequence. What's your thought on that? Where would you start as far as backing up? Well, exactly that. So, you know, like you have your your list, even if it's just a list of concepts. I mean, like the first step, if you've never had a working document of all the things that you've taught, right? And it's it's always nice to have that sound list just as an aside, because then you can be like, oh, yeah, we did do this last year. It's probably a little familiar, you know, if you have some retention with your kiddos, which hopefully you do. Um, but I think the first step is like, even if you don't have that working document, is to just kind of like look at your list of concepts in the order that you teach them and put a little asterisk next to where you think you left off. But yeah, where you left off, odds are, was not a complete, quote unquote, complete sequence. Um, You know, maybe you, you just got to the literacy moment. Maybe you just got to like a little bit of reading and writing practice, but they didn't really have a chance to to demonstrate some things independently or independently in the way that you would like them to. Mm-hmm. And I think that's especially, like you were saying, that's especially what is challenging about this year. So even if you taught you know, concept A, B, C, D, and E, if you were virtual the entire year, did you get them to do some of the things or did they have the opportunity rather to create in some of the ways that you were hoping they would be able to? Hmm. And and if not, there might be a little bit more quote unquote backing up <laughs> than what you normally would would do just from the standpoint that you want to get into some of that that later practice or that later extension type work where they're able to do more more improvisation with notation context. If they're able to do more composition work, they're able to do more, um, you know, project-based learning type stuff together, or they're able to do more movement, or they're able to use instruments or whatever it is that they weren't able to 
kind of fully express the way that you want them to in your classroom. So in a typical hmm. year, I would maybe look at my my list of, of concepts and I don't know, you know, I always want to say pa, but let's say we got to like low so and um you know, so I would probably start like the concept before LOSO and then kind of reteach that because we didn't go through like the whole learning sequence just to kind of, you know, since our our curriculum is spiraling the way that it is, mm-hmm. everything's pretty much embedded. So then, um, you know, that sequence is embedded. So by just reviewing the concept before, we're reviewing all the concepts before that. But this year, I'm probably going to do a lot of activities that are focused on creating with mm. all of those different elements in new ways, right? So the backing up looks a little bit different. It's not like, let me step back to this one concept. Mm-hmm. It's let me take a look at all of those concepts. I didn't get an opportunity to fully do the way that I know serves my students the best way possible. Yeah, that's such an interesting way to phrase it. Like what experiences were missing last year what experiences were missing and how can I highlight the way I want students to interact with each other in a musical way? So your, your goal is not, you know, if you got to low, so your goal is not to review low law. Your goal is like all of this extra musical stuff that happens around the concept. What would you do, Anne, if you were a teacher who uh, did not have a sequence of concepts and maybe for very good reason, they were the Pinterest teacher Mm. and they were just Googling, Pinteresting, um, Instagramming, whatever it is, uh, activities for third grade virtual teaching. And there wasn't necessarily a, I don't want to say not a rhyme or reason, but there was not a, uh, in your words, a sequence. What would you do if, again, for very good reason, you were the Pinterest teacher last year and you don't have a sequence to say, like, I left off here, so the next logical step is X? Well, and I think that, first of all, let's all acknowledge that that is a very valid, (laughs) as you said, very good reason. Like I think everybody was to a certain extent, right? Because there were just days and weeks and months and maybe a whole year where that was just how you survived. And I think that's fine, but you were still doing musical activities that at least could start that spark for whatever it is that, that you, you would want to do in your classroom in a normal, in a normal scenario. So if you don't have a sequence, if you don't have anything that you were necessarily pulling from last year. My hope is that there is one somewhere or an example somewhere, or you can at least take a look bare minimum at some of the things that you did do last year, what your students were being asked to do musically to create, to experience independently as musicians or collaboratively and figure out what you can extract from that to kind of get you going back in the direction that you would normally be wanting to go in. And maybe that is just steady beat. Maybe that is just Mm. pitch matching. And then reviewing, okay, you know, so if it's like third grade and you usually get into some extended pentatone stuff, but you didn't do any of that, you, they, they only are kind of where, where they have do, re, mi, so, and la, okay. By the end of second grade and they're coming in 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 third grade how do I want to say this? So, so then maybe, maybe you're just kind of a year behind, quote unquote, mm-hmm. behind. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. Yep. And, and I think that that's okay. So you start off with like singing on pitch, you start off with echoing some patterns, and then you kind of 
if, if the experiences that you chose last year lend themselves to it, you can do something. And I hesitate to say this, but you can do something slightly accelerated to kind of get Mm -hmm. them back to where you would like them to be. What are you, what do you think? Okay. So, well, I want to ask you another follow-up question because you're talking about like, what if you had a sequence and then you became the Pinterest Pinterest teacher and threw your sequence out the window and now you need to pick up where you left off. Mm. What if you have never had a sequence? What if you have never had because a sequence? Because this is, yeah, <laughs> like, because this is, or like you've just been doing like your spotlight on music textbook um, or you've been doing whatever school district curriculum is there existing from the last teacher or whatever. Like, can you talk about why we would even want to have a sequence in the first place? Yeah, for sure. So, cause this is your thing. Yeah. Yeah. So here's what you got to do. If you are looking to want to have this list of curricular concepts and go through them in a way that promotes fluency literacy, and then some independent musicianship, like what we talk about inside of Mm. the sequencing solution, right? Um, If you are going through these things and you want to have that ordering of concepts, the first thing you have to do, whether it's my sequence, Victoria's sequence, whoever's sequence, is you need to sit down and say, by the end of when my students leave me, this is what I want to see them be able to do with these concepts. And so you start off with this big picture vision, of what your classroom looks like, feels like, and what students are able to demonstrate doing. And then you work backwards and you say, well, if I want them to be able to compose with pentatone, what do they need to know first? Well, they need to know all the notes of the pentatone. Well, what order makes the most sense for, for them to, for them to learn pentatone? Well, we need to back up and, you know, dissect it with, you know, me, Rido and so me law and all of that kind of stuff and figure out what songs, what activities you're going to use, and then kind of reverse design what it is that you're going to create. Right. And so if you have had on your board for the last, however many years, my goal today in music is to sing with a beautiful voice and to mm. clap the steady beat, which is great. And kids are probably experiencing music in a very joyful, organic way. Mm-hmm. Then you can start honing in on some of those skills and extracting some of those things that you want them to be able to accomplish by the end of when they leave you. So it's really, okay. and it's starting small and it's really just thinking about that end goal, right? There has to be, there has to be that end in mind because without that, you're just swimming. Is that more, am I, am I getting warmer? <laughs> <laughs> no, there's no correct answer. I want to, I just want to make sure that we're addressing like every, every person who could be listening. Yeah, so if fair. someone has gone through, if someone has gone through TSS, mm. then they will say for sure, right? Like we did Tikka Tikka, but we didn't do T Tikka. And so now I know definitely where to start, but there are also teachers who are, you know, maybe this is their first year right. or they've gone several years without a logical sequence of concepts. And so when we say like jump in and just start where you left off or like look for those foundational competencies and then do the next step, depending on what you observe in those competencies in a play-based collaborative way, that, that is not enough information for some teachers. And even for the rest of us, it's a great, it's a great way. Like hearing you talk about that is so clear And it makes me excited to think about things. Okay, this, what you just described is the assessment. 
you just described the assessment process. So you said, look at by the end of my time with students, what does it feel like? What does it look like? And what can they do? Okay. Well, of those three, I know that regardless of students' skill level and their cognitive knowledge, I know that I can still set the tone for what the classroom feels like and what musical learning looks like in my classroom. And so now I just need to get to that content area. But as far as the tone and the community and the classroom environment and the school culture, the classroom culture, I can do that as setting the context for the actual assessment practice. And so what you said about, you know, at the end, what can they do? That is your long range goal. And now at the beginning of the year, we just need to see where we're starting in terms of that long range goal. Okay. Talk to me and about, because you talked very, a little bit about, uh, how students like in, in your pentatone example, you talked about, if we want to compose with the pentatone, we need to be able to, uh, bah, 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 all of these pitches in the pentatone, all of these things. So talk to me about the music learning process and how would you even expect students? And I know this is, this is in a roundabout way getting to assessment, but this for me is, is a crystal clear roadmap of what a pre-assessment should look like. So talk to me about how children learn music and what should I expect from children before a notational literacy experience? Yeah, absolutely. So if you think about it in three different learning phases, you have your pre-literacy phase, kind of like the literacy moment, and then a post-literacy phase. Okay. So in the pre-literacy phase, which, you know, code educators call prepare, um, I, I call with my folks discover or not discovery. That's not true. People listening are like, no, Ian, that's not what we call it. Exploration. 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 So exploration is all about building context. So we're doing lots of things orally. We're doing lots of things kinesthetically. We're doing things visually. Not necessarily in that order, but kind of in that order because our aural experience and our kinesthetic experience is that embodied music making that we do through all of these different types of things in our room, whether it's movement, instruments, whatever, or just simply, not so simply, quote unquote, playing a game, right, and singing the song, right? So that's building that aural and kinesthetic experience. When we get to a visual pre-literacy experience, generally we're talking about doing some sort of iconic notation. So if you're talking about um, a lot of contour, you're talking about the pentatone, so showing the order of those pitches um, in kind of a, a visual space. So it might be like magnets on a board or heartbeats, what, whatever your jam is with that. And then that, all of that context, all of that experience, all of that musical speaking and conversation leads to that literacy moment. So in that discovery, the teacher leads the students and explains the theory. It's very teacher-directed as it kind of has, has to be um, to talk about all of that context we built to say, okay, here's what you were really doing. So, you know, talking about Dory Miso in law, based off of the context that your students have have experienced all of those pitches. Um, and then immediately going into practicing, identifying, reading, and writing it. So those are the literacy skills that we want to build in that discovery moment. The ability to translate from iconic notation into 
into formal notation so they can identify, they can read it, and then they can write it. And those are really, really early literacy skills, right? Because at least in the context of music, because then we want them to be able to go into later extension where they can improvise and compose and create and do all of those kind of higher order thinking skills that show they really have that ownership over a concept. And it's not that they have ownership over just the literacy part, right? Because we already did identify read and write. That was the first step with formal notation. So now we're moving into more of that independent musicianship where it's like, yes, I already built the context. I already built the fluency. I know what it looks like how to read it, how to write it. Now I'm going to take all of that information and apply it. That's beautiful. So that's what it looks like <laughs> in a nutshell. Uh, say that in one <laughs> sentence, your process in one sentence. You love to challenge me on these conversations, man. Just so, just to remind everybody, <laughs> this is like not scripted. <laughs> so Victoria comes at me with these questions that I'm like, cool. <laughs> How can I get her back? No, not really. Um, give me my sentence starter. The musical learning process is, what do you want me to say? Do you want me to give you your sentence? <laughs> no, I'm just trying to wrap it up because you very literally have a full course yeah, yeah. on this. And so and this that's is a why. very, <laughs> exactly. Why, yeah. It's a very, yeah. it's a very involved process. And, and I mean that like in the best possible way, this is a thorough and well thought out way for children to learn music. Yeah. And I think the important piece of it is that, um, we talk a lot about, you know, fluency and that's something I've talked with Brent Galt mm -hmm. about a lot. Um, on an, an oldie, but a very goodie episode of the Anacrusic podcast, we had a conversation um, about Coda Inspired Teaching, but a lot of that had to do with fluency and this idea that students are able to speak the musical language. And, you know, that's a big component of, of what we all do, right? Because it's sound, no matter your philosophy, because it's sound before symbol, um, all of that good stuff. But the thing is, is that we are wanting to make sure that students can speak the musical language before asking them to read and write it. And, mm -hmm. and that's, that's how we learn absolutely any, any language. So we're looking for an active music making approach that fosters musical fluency and then promotes that lifelong independent musicianship. So that doesn't really sum up the process, but it's this idea that students can have a musical conversation, then mm. they learn how to read, write, and identify, and then they learn to create. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that gives yeah. me one sentence because I'm too long-winded for one sentence. That's, but. that's beautiful. I think that's great. I think that's great. Oh, yeah. I think that if if I were to put your process in a sentence, I might say uh, that we provide the context and then add the vocabulary. And then uh, this isn't um, anything that you would put like in your course, but effectively we like push them out of the nest. And like, yeah. okay, now go do it. <laughs> Yeah. But that the context is so, so important. I think that that is the real magic of this way of teaching. And 
when you talk about the context, providing the aural and kinesthetic experience, and then that leads to a visual experience in a way that makes sense for students, not necessarily in a way that makes sense for us, but if it's pitch, we're showing pitch relationships and that doesn't need to exist on the five line staff. If we're showing duration, then we're showing lengths of sound and that doesn't need to exist with, uh, you know, sticks and stems kind of thing. So what we talk about when we talk about this context building at the very beginning of the learning process, that is the pre-assessment. That is the pre-assessment because we don't necessarily care that they know what it looks like in standard notation, or at least we don't care about that first. What we care about is do they have the context to use this musical concept in a musical way, as opposed to using that musical concept in a non-musical way, such as uh, like circling it on a multiple choice quiz that we are putting out for a pre-assessment. The the observation of can you use this musical thing to do music? Can you music with these things is so much more important than can you identify the shape of this on a worksheet? Because Mm. if we are only asking them to identify the shape on a worksheet as a pre-assessment, that gives us very good knowledge about their visual recognition of a shape, but it doesn't tell us anything about their musical skill set as developing student musicians. And so I think that if we wanted to take this conversation and just make it super, super easy for people with this framework that you have given, Anne, our pre-assessment is the context, Mm. aural and kinesthetic, and that's what the majority of the first day is, is just getting back on track. And really the first weeks, it's just getting back on track to this collaborative music making experience where students are in charge of building their own learning. And then what, what I would say is this discovery moment, the difference in a typical school year and then a review is that we are going to provide the context and give all of these musical invitations to students. And then we say, what can you tell me about this second beat? Do you hear anything that's higher? Oh, what is it higher than? Oh, interesting. I wonder if we have a name that we could all use for that. And then maybe students say it's law, or maybe they say, oh, that's high or whatever, whatever it is. And then you say, aha, that's my starting point. But in that sense, no one is behind because no one feels behind. We've, we have gone at the student's pace. So we're really going to provide the context and then let students move us through that discovery moment. Again, to use the TSS language, move us through the discovery moment. They do the presentation for us. Mm -hmm. And then from there, we get to decide the level of practice, the level of extension of this musical concept that we want to go, depending on the pace our students have set. Yeah, and I think I think all of that is spot on. I hundred percent agree. And and the thing is too that you touched on this idea of like a shape on a worksheet. That's so like either or. That's like either they have a check mark or an, an X, right? And we're not in the business of either or banking model education Woo! stuff, right? This this just got way deeper than previous. <laughs> But we're not into that, right? And so if you're doing temperature checks, if you're doing a vibe check, you're you're not able to say, yep, Susie's got it. Yep, 
Billy's got it, like whatever it might be. It's much more like, oh yeah, they're kind of clapping the rhythms, but they're not all on the steady beat. Yeah, they're kind of clapping. They're they're participating. They're engaged. They're doing this collaborative thing, but they don't have the mastery, like what I want before I move on. And so it's looking to see where on this spectrum are like how hot are they how cold are they right the temperature <laughs> check but like all of, all of those things to figure out okay is this where whatever my my like starred spot on the thermometer I'll let the analogy mm-hmm. go but um <laughs> are we to that point yet or do I need to to go back and do some reteaching right which is not a bad thing right it's not at all but um yeah I think that's very interesting my uh, first year, am I going to just share like a mistake I've made every conversation like we've had? I like it. That could be, part, my... that could be like a segment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're like the, the lights go down, the music is really chill and it's like this is an open space. You can share anything. Okay, I have something that's coming up on my heart that I really want to share. Um, the reason I, I've always cared about assessment. I've always loved assessment and data because I like things that work. And I dislike things that don't work. And so I want to know what's working. And the way to know if something's working is to have a goal and see if we've met the goal. I love that. Have always loved it. And so my first position one time when I was new at a school, the the big challenge for me, Anne, is those upper elementary students. Where where in the world are our upper elementary students this year? That's the big question mark. And I had that question mark as I was going into this new school. And so I needed a pre-assessment to see where they were. And so I Googled pre-assessment first day of whatever. And I found this worksheet that was like, uh, which of these instruments is a brass instrument? Name this note. And it was a half note. And, uh, please circle the rhythm that doesn't match and, and all of this stuff. And so I gave it to my fourth and fifth graders and maybe you'll be surprised. Maybe you won't. Uh, they knew nothing Mm. as I was measuring it on this worksheet. And that is the tragedy of a worksheet, uh, pre-assessment, especially one that you just pull from the internet, because you can look at it and say, oh no, they don't know anything. We, we have zero musical knowledge. They don't even know what the definition of a steady beat is. Right. And there are, you know, some obvious gigantic problems with this philosophy of pre-assessment, because I wanted to know what is their level of cognitive theoretical knowledge And when I did that, I was robbing them and myself of a collaborative musical experience where we could start to build that knowledge together, you know? Yeah. But it was on the worksheet. It was on the worksheet and I wanted to see. I just wanted to know. I wanted to have it there in writing for data. Well, and you just hit a very important point. You know, I was having um, a conversation with a colleague not too long ago about this idea of learning targets and success criteria and all of these different things that, um, you know, I I think are all important and are all things that um, we should consider and be thinking about in our classrooms. But I also think we need to remember that our classroom exists very differently than others that these standards are made for. And so, yes, it's important to try to to, um, you know, be a team player and do things and use the language for an ad- from an advocacy perspective as well too, right? Like that's super mm. important. Mm-hmm. But um, 
yeah, you're just making me think about that and thinking about, I also have another colleague who, um, she has a, a pretest very much like the one that you're describing that she has to choose one class <laughs> in one grade level every year to give that to them and then show progress. And the progress is the higher score on the test with the instrument identification and the half note, you know, definition and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, yeah, I understand why we're being asked to do these things, but it's just so, I guess, there's nothing else to say other than just like solidarity because there's nothing more frustrated than having to complete an assessment that isn't reflective of your classroom. Right. So, yeah. So this either or thing is just not it. It's just not it. Yeah. Right. Right. And I would say like that, that post assessment about the instruments of the orchestra and visual identification of shapes, that is a really, really great thing for us to know. And that worksheet can give us very good information about how well a student has memorized the shape and the definition of a half note. And that's great. That's fabulous. There's nothing in the world wrong with knowing that students have memorized the shape and the definition of a half note. But that is literally all that test can tell you. That, that gives us zero information about their musicianship. That gives us zero information about anything other than have they memorized the shape and the definition of a half note. And that's it. So I don't have a problem with worksheets. I don't have a problem with standardized tests. I don't have a problem with state testing. I have a problem with us using, and this is a different conversation for a different time. I'll bring it back. Don't worry. I don't have a problem with any standardized assessment at all. I think that's great. My problem is when we take those measurements and we make them apply to things they have no business applying to. And again, this is separate rant for a separate time, but like taking an SAT score and saying, that will tell you how successful you're going to be as a college student. Your SAT score is not a valid and reliable measurement of your social skills and all of the things that it does take to be successful. And so again, I know, I know I'm off on a tangent, but I want to, I just want to say like, if you are in a position where you need to do some sort of state testing at the end of the year, great, go for it. Understand that that measures a very specific set of knowledge and skills, and it has no bearing on the collaborative, communal, active music-making experiences that your students have. Yeah, because the kid who could remember all of that stuff and got a perfect score on the pretest could also be the one, you know, mm-hmm. who doesn't do a thing in your room, who is sitting mm-hmm. there and isn't comfortable or hasn't had the experience of doing something to find find the way that they can feel musical and express that. Mm-hmm. Right? Just, I've memorized. Yeah. I was going to say, like, I've, I've memorized the shape, but I can't use it. I've memorized yeah. the shape, but I can't have a conversation using it. And that's back to your point about fluency. Fluency, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Cool. I mean, bring it down. <laughs> Let me... Uh, I have a, a presentation that I'm giving uh, with F-flat. Um, when we're recording this on a Wednesday, I have that presentation on a Friday. And then this conversation, and that you and I are, coming, are, are having right now, is going to come out on a Monday. So the Monday after. So when people are listening to this, I've already given that presentation. So let me give you my framework for assessment that I'm going to share. And then Yay. if you would change anything, um, I will take your feedback and I'll, and I'll change it. So if we want uh, just like a very 
quick framework for a pre-assessment. One sentence even? <laughs> Not that quick. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's the difference. And you're like, say it in a sentence. And I'd be like, no, I won't. That's the difference between I just between need us. to start denying you when you ask me questions like just that. Just say no. Noted. <laughs> Noted. <laughs> okay. Uh, assessment framework for the first weeks of school pre-assessments. We are going to start with an active musical experience. And this is the assessment. That active, the game, when you walk in and you start playing Our Old Sow, you walk in, you start playing Big Fat Biscuit, that game is the pre-assessment. And then on that first day of school, I have a worksheet that is like um, getting to know students and then student preferences. And if I were in charge of the music class, this is what the music class would look like. And this is, again, specifically for upper elementary because this is my big question mark, but this would be adapted, you know, in second grade for like a whole class discussion, as opposed to giving those second graders a worksheet. Um, now notice that I am talking about a worksheet on the first day of school <laughs> after that gigantic rant. So, you know, take you it, said take it, it <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so this is, uh, we're going to start with an active musical experience and that is the pre-assessment. And then after that active and collaborative musical experience, we give that worksheet that is supposed to give us some information about students themselves and about their preferences. So things like their favorite artist, their favorite song, um, their favorite video game, all of that stuff that they give us, we are going to take those papers and look through them and find stuff that we can use actively in the classroom. So we ask them for their input for what they want the music class to look like. And then we are going to actually take that input and use it, whether that is, and this is a separate conversation, but whether that is um, rhythmic uh, patterns that we can pull from their favorite, favorite pop song, whether it is something that we're just using in the warm-up routine for improvisation, whether we can play the chord changes for, you know, with low so and low la, maybe we use it to discover fa, whatever it is. Uh, so we start with the active experience. We give a worksheet about where students are sharing their... Uh, musical preferences and things about them so that we can use that in the future. Again, this is the pre-assessment because it informs future instruction. And then after that musical experience, we will say on the back, um, find a partner. And with that partner, just write down anything, what you remember about last year. And this can be songs. This can be musical concepts. It could be symbols. It could be activities. Tell me what you remember about last year. Because with all of this, Anne, we're talking like, uh, where should we start? What have students remembered? What have they retained? What do they even remember? What, where should we even begin? Well, the students know. So we can just ask, ask them. Yeah. The student, you could just ask them. We could just ask the students. We don't need to guess because we have students here in front of us now. And that's the big win of, of this year is that we're here with students. So we can just ask them and we will let them work with a partner on this. And we are going to have this conversation after we do a musical experience in community. Because if you do what I did and just give a multiple choice worksheet on the first day of school, there's no, you haven't set the context. There's no context. I also wasn't letting kids uh, talk to each other about anything because I wanted it to be like a really individual. Um, I was very uptight about it, right? <laughs> uh, but here it's, it's very open-ended on purpose. And so if all students remember is that we did this game with the opera blobs, great. 
that's great for me to know that that's the thing that they remember. There was something about that that stuck out in their minds. And so I want to use that in the upcoming year, however it fits into my larger goals for, for the year. So we're going to start with an active experience, and then we're literally going to ask students what they remember. And then after that, in future lessons, that's where we go to um, noticing something about something in a piece, uh, getting on the same page as the vocabulary, and then using that conscious vocabulary uh, in a communal way. Again, the difference is that now that vocabulary is conscious. So let me try a one sentence, Anne. You can see how hard it is. <laughs> we'll have a musical experience and discuss previous experiences and then move through the learning process together. Look at you. Yeah, I love this idea of asking them what they did. It reminds me of I um, when I was going through my master's program, I was taking my very first research class and we had to do action research. Mm -hmm. um, my professor, I was kind of lamenting. We would always start out because we, we were all teaching full time. Um, I was lamenting about how my older kids at my new campus just like I felt like they just hated me and that's maybe a conversation for another day too but anyway um, <laughs> my professor was just like well how are they how are they responding I'm like they're just not doing anything like I've tried everything and I just can't figure out what they like and he's like well why don't you just ask them <laughs> and so that's what I did and it turned into like this this survey poster presentation research thing but um yeah I think that's where the money is like just ask them what did you find so what i found was that as students ages increase their self-efficacy towards singing or any type of really embodied music making like direct embodied music making so things that allow them to be vulnerable in their own bodies let's put it that way so things like mm. solo singing things mm. like um doing creative movement if they're not used to these two things before Right. So for me, in this particular circumstance, it was mm -hmm. like a brand new campus. I had older kids. And I was like, oh, we're going to do all this solo singing and all this creative movement because those are two that, you know, I sing move a ton in my classroom. And um, it was crickets. And so for those kids, and par particularly in, in my situation, because again, remember, you know, I was at a new campus. They weren't used to me. They weren't used to my classroom. So they had probably not been asked to do those things before. Um, and so as so looking at fourth and fifth graders girls and boys the fifth graders were even more uncomfortable with that stuff than than the fourth graders mm. and boys were more uncomfortable with it than girls right which is not really surprising um but the things that they loved were playing games including singing games like play parties folk dances whatever and anything to do with instruments so i just really beefed that mm. up and that's a lot of what i did with my fifth graders that year so, so anyway, so it was just interesting to hear you say, like, ask them what they did. I would maybe like say, star your favorite thing that we did or something like that too. I, I think that would be interesting. Ooh. That's the only edit I have. <laughs> no other edits. That's a great yeah. edit. Yeah. I love that. So I think uh, a way to adapt it is, you know, I like, I like it being so open-ended on purpose, but then kids are going to say like, I don't know. I don't even know. I wasn't even here last year. I don't even know. And you're like, yes, you were. You logged on like every single, okay, fine. Uh, and so then you have like your list of songs that you did, and this is bringing it back, right? Like having that document that says what you did and when, 
then that's the time to pull out that document and say, this is all of the stuff we did. Please star your favorite thing. I love that. And because, uh, again, talking about having something that keeps track of what is going on in the music room, even if you're not required to show anything for your administration, having some sort of grounding document that says, this is what I'm going to teach. This is how I will teach it. That is so helpful for pre-assessment at Absolutely. the beginning of the year. Yeah. Well, I think that, I think that brings it home. <laughs> that wraps it up. So yeah, cool. Any, any last words of advice for folks as they embark upon this pre-assessment journey? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I think I want to just reiterate that we can create the context first. And I think something that we didn't touch on that maybe we can talk talk about this perhaps like in a future conversation, but uh, the collaborative experience when we are creating that context, we can improvise and we can arrange and we can have a visual representation of our ideas, AKA compose, we can do all of that on the very first day. And so something, you know, like in the lesson plans and the planning binder, we are starting the creative process the very first day, even though students have not consciously identified the vocabulary that we're going to use in the future. So I think that I would just, uh, because we haven't said it before, I, I just want to say it here. That in those first days of school, those first pre-assessments, those can be, and I would, I would stick my toe out and say they probably should be something where students mm -hmm. are being asked to create, even if they're not creating with conscious vocabulary. So we'll start with a, a context with student ownership involved. Then we can ask students what they remember. And that kind of sets the course for the rest of our year with the understanding that assessment is always circular. It is not linear. So it's not, uh, I remember low. So, and you're like, great, we will move on to the next thing because they already remember low. So we're still always circling back to check, you know, I think that's my only caveat. What about you? No, and I think that's important. And that's an important distinction, maybe not distinction, but that's an important consideration, let's say, because this idea of um, of fluency mm. and conversation is not just that your students can repeat what you say. Yay. It's that they can take they can take those building blocks even before there's official notes in in the picture, right? Official notes, mm -hmm. <laughs> formal notation. Let's say that. Let's use those words. Um, formal notation in the picture. They can still create, even if you're using text or or some other type of building block, if you will, um, to make some musical magic happen. <laughs> awesome. This was a good chat. I think I think that there's some important tidbits here, and hopefully it's helpful. Cool. 